Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Great to, uh, to be with you this morning. Welcome to week two of our series that we're calling Thanksgiving. Get it? That's the, that's the title of the, uh, of the series. We're, we're looking at what the Bible has to say about this concept of generosity. Uh, last week, Tim did an excellent job. He kicked us off by exploring what Jesus himself had to say about this topic, which is a great place to start because he's the one we follow. So we asked, what, what, is, what is Jesus asking us to consider? And he, he talked about the fact that Jesus raises some really important questions when it comes to our stuff. Like, most of all, do we trust that God is going to provide for us, that he's going to come through for us? Are we stockpiling our resources, so to speak, in the things that he treasures, things like caring for the poor and the marginalized, or are we stockpiling our treasures in things that we care about, like self, self-sufficiency and security and, and even greed? Which, where are our treasures going? As, as Jesus himself said, where your treasures are, there the desires of your heart will also be. So we're talking about the desires of our heart in this series. So now that we've talked about what Jesus had to say about it, we're going to spend the rest of this series looking at what the rest of the Bible has to say about it. And frankly, we're barely going to touch on it because there is a lot in Scripture about giving, about stuff, about money, about generosity. It is all over the place. But what I want you to understand right now uh, is that when Jesus was talking about giving and generosity, he was not talking about it in a vacuum. Okay, he wasn't just inventing some new concepts. No, quite the contrary. His teachings were rooted in in the traditions and the laws that made up the people of Israel, and and his his teachings uh, got interpreted and understood and passed on by those who came after him, the apostles, and we're going to look at all of that. We're going to look at that giant thread that connects throughout the whole whole sweep of Scripture. And what we're going to see is that As we look at the whole thing, there is a one pretty unified and rather provocative idea that comes up again and again and again in the Bible from start to finish, and it's this. Our posture of generosity is not just a response to the good things that God has given to us, although that is a part of it. No, our posture of generosity in some way is the means by which we experience God's blessing. The, the wholeness, the abundance, the presence of God. Our giving is somehow tied to God's blessing. That's all over the scriptures. Somehow, according to the Bible, giving makes our life better. Now, when I say that, I know that for some of you, there's some alarm bells going off or some red flags going up because you're like, whoa, there's been a lot of abuse of this concept in the church, right? There are plenty of, of examples we could give of, uh, you know, people using people's emotions to, to give money to my thing so I can buy a new private jet or whatever. Like, we know that's happened. And, and I know that if you grow, grew up in the church, you've probably experienced your fair share of shame or guilt for not giving enough, right? You've been, you've been kind of felt like the spotlight's on you like you're supposed to give. So I'll be the first one to acknowledge that this is a sensitive topic because it has been misused and abused very often in the church. So it's tempting. As a, as a pastor, it's tempting to just want to tiptoe around this topic and move on because I don't want to go there. I don't want to be the one that's going to cause everyone to be uncomfortable. But here's the deal. If, I must say, it is the fact that the Bible talks about this issue almost more than any other issue, 
If it's such a big deal to Jesus, if it's such a big deal to the biblical authors, it should probably be at least something that we pay attention to, if not a big deal for us as well. And so we are a church that goes there. It's one of our core values. So we are going to go there and we are going to talk about this, even though I'm the first to acknowledge there's some baggage here. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Let's ask what the Bible really says about generosity. Before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, I'm going to definitely need God's help on this one, so let's go for it. Father God, we invite you into this space. We invite you into this moment, into this time, uh, because this, this topic is challenging for us. Not just the history of, of misuse of these concepts, but also just the fact that, well, God, our whole culture, every fiber of our being seems to be set against us being generous people. And so I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would prepare the way for us to hear what you have to say. I pray that, that in these moments that I'm teaching that I would simply disappear and that your Spirit would remain. Would we be changed by you so we can experience the, the life-giving presence and abundance and blessing that you promise us? I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So today, I talk, said that we're going to look at the whole sweep of Scripture. So today, what we are going to do, and I'm getting pumped, I'm getting excited, we are going to talk about the Old Testament law. Can I get a yeehaw about that? Woo! Yes! Oh, you really said yeehaw. I was just, that's amazing. I have woohoo in my notes, but I'm very excited about this topic. We're going to talk about the law of Moses, guys, so buckle up. Uh, it's called the Torah, the law of Moses, the law. This, this, uh, this idea, th these first five books of our Bible are the foundation of the whole nation of Israel, the people of God. And so we are going to have to talk about that. We can't just ignore it because it's sometimes a little bit weird and confusing. In fact, what we're going to see is that it actually has a lot to teach us today. This collection of stories and rules and principles was meant from the very beginning to show the people of Israel something really profound, to show them how to be set apart, to be set apart. What I mean by that is this, these, this law, the law of Moses, was, was here from the beginning to show the Israelites how to be a, a people who were distinct from the rest of the world, to show all the other nations on earth who were drowning in violence and injustice and greed and all of it, that there is another way to live a way of trusting in God's provision and not your own, a way of caring for your neighbor and, and not just competing with them, a way of, sp of spreading life, not spreading death into your world. Bottom line, big picture, the law of Moses called the people of Israel to be a living embodiment of God's presence, of God's justice, and of God's abundance in the world. And it's provocative. I'll give you an example. Poverty. In the law, poverty was essentially outlawed in Israel. You're not allowed to be poor in Israel. Here's what I mean. Throughout the law, there is significant concern for widows, for orphans, for, for refugees, those who were at that time the most vulnerable people in society. Israelites were, were not allowed to lend money to somebody with interest. Is there a fly on my head? I think there is. They're not allowed, Israelites, are not allowed to lend money to somebody at interest if they're in a difficult time in their life. Uh, every seven years, all, all debts were automatically forgiven and all slaves were freed. So nobody was going to be caught in generational poverty. So this is, like I said, it's radical, radical stuff. 
Um, so, so this concept of, of Israel being set apart in this way, this is provocative. Now, it was going to be costly. It was going to have to be costly because you don't have some sort of a utopian society like that without, without some cost and some, 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 uh, some resources to make it happen. But here's the twist. Throughout the law, there is a consistent promise that goes along with this challenge. And the promise is this, that God would bless them. Here's Deuteronomy 15. There should be no poor among you, uh, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. Now, blessing. In Scripture, blessing is a way of describing the abundance that comes from being in the presence of God. Because this was one of the ways that Israel was going to be distinct, is that God was going to live among them, to live with them. So they would be blessed by his presence. It's like, it'd be like them returning to the Garden of Eden, right? It means, it means peace for, for them and their families. It means wholeness and provision when God's with you. It means that there's enough to go around. That's blessing. And that was the promise. If the Israelites were generous, if they were to, to, to live out the, the desires of God on the earth, they would be blessed. But here's what's cool, because when they are blessed and they've got all this abundance, it gives them more to be generous with. So they can have more to give, more to be generous with, which then leads to more blessing. And when they're more blessed, they can be more generous, etc. It is like a, a uh, it's kind of like a positive feedback loop of blessing. This was the vision. This was the vision that was intended to lead Israel forward. And you can imagine how, I mean, how provocative this idea is in a, in a world where greed and acquisitiveness and, and, you know, selfishness, where those were the law of the land, Israel was going to be a nation of open hands, of generous hearts, right? And because of God's blessing on them, Israel was going to be a nation with storerooms full of grain, a nation that flowed with milk and honey and wine. They were going to show the world that there was another way to live, storing their treasures in heaven, in God's desires, not on earth, trusting in God to provide and being blessed in the, pro in the process. That was the vision that, that the law encapsulates. Now, long story short, and we'll get into this a bit more next week, but the Israelites totally screwed this up. And they completely failed at this. They did a really poor job of actually living into these things. We'll talk about how the prophets kind of called them to task next week. But, but when Jesus came onto the scene, again, he wasn't just coming up with some new ideas about giving and generosity. No, he was tapping into this exact same tradition from, from the law. His message to his followers was, guys, this dream of, of an abundant world, of a nation set apart, it's not dead. It's not dead. It's, it's reborn in you. Because my spirit, Jesus says, it, it will be within you. You can do what Israel never could. You can show the world what it means to be a community of blessing, a community of open hands who lives within the abundance of God. So we follow Jesus. That was his promise. What's true of, of Israel then is true of us. Our generosity will show the world that there is another way to live. 
That's again why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. God blesses us when our heart's desires are in line with his. So that's why we're going to look at the law, okay? We're going to look at what the law has to say because, again, this is the foundation for everything. So let's dig in. Let's look at what the law actually commands about generosity. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can, but we're going to be looking at a bunch of different passages in the Torah. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to see that, that we actually are carrying this vision forward through Jesus, even if these specific commands don't really apply to us today, okay? It's really, really cool stuff. All right, here we go. There are three reasons that I, as far as I understand it, the way I look at it, three reasons that the Israelites were commanded to give, and these were to define the people. So number one, people were commanded to be generous to ensure that the people of God could worship and grow. Now, if Israel was going to be a nation set apart, if they were going to be different from everyone else, and if God was going to live in their midst at the temple— well, then they were going to have to support the work of maintaining that relationship. For example, uh, Leviticus 27, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Now, this tenth or tithe, that's where we get the word, that's what it means, tenth, was given to the priests and the Levites. These were the, the, the people who they didn't have any land or fields of their own. Instead, they dedicated their entire lives to, again, maintaining the relationship between God and the people. They represented God to the people, and they represented the people to God. The, the Levites, that was sort of the bigger tribe, they were effectively grounds and maintenance for the temple. They kept up the, the place. They kept it you know, in pristine condition so the people could come and worship God. And the priests, they were like a subset of the Levites. And the priests, they were the ones that, that maintained like the sacrificial system. So whenever the Israelites messed up or fell away from God's purposes, they could be made right again through the sacrifices. Um, the priests also talked, brought the, uh, the, the worship and the gratitude of the people to God in, in sacrifices, in prayer, in celebrations. So they were the conduit between God and the people, right? That's the temple system. And again, they don't have any land to support themselves. So the people of Israel, they pooled their resources, 10%, to be able to support that relationship and that infrastructure. Put simply, every individual in Israel gave a part of what they had so that the whole community could worship God and grow together. Okay? So that's, that's the first one. The whole community could be blessed by God because he's living among them. That's the first reason to give. The second reason uh, was really simple, to care for the vulnerable. I already mentioned the fact that poverty was essentially illegal in Israel, and generosity was, was going to be the reason why, the reason that it wasn't going to happen. Deuteronomy 14, let me, let me read this to you. Um, Deuteronomy 14. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites, who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans, and the widows in your towns, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will, here it is again, will bless you in all your work. So the Israelites were expected every three years to give an additional 10% of their crops to, to store in their towns, in their villages, uh, so that widows and orphans and foreigners always had enough to eat, 
right? I love, just stop for a second. I love how provocative that is, right? There is no one hungry in Israel because we're all putting aside some of our resources uh, so that there's always food for those who, who need it. But that's not it. That's not the only uh, way that they are commanded to be generous to care for the vulnerable. Listen to this. I love this, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm geeking out so much about this, but just stay with me because it is so cool. Leviticus 19. Here's another law. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. I love that. Don't, don't harvest everything. Make sure you're, you're leaving some for others to harvest. I, I spent some time several years ago in rural India, and I was out in this field. I don't remember why we were in the field, maybe just walking around the village, and I came across this exact situation happening. There was a community of, of outcast gypsy women, and they were out in this field uh, picking up whatever like little sheaves of rice had fallen that the, the harvesters had dropped. That was going to be how they'd provide for their family. And so I watched them, them you know, they had scouring the field looking for any little bit that dropped, and they were threshing that in the field to make it uh, food for their family. I got to see that. But you can imagine, if you're a farmer in rural India, you're not trying to leave a bunch of stuff lying around because that's your produce. That's how you survive yourself. And so it's normal for farmers to pick up as much as they possibly can and not leave much around. But in Israel, you do, and you do it on purpose. You actually leave the edges of your field uh, unharvested so that those who are experiencing hard times, those who, who have fallen on difficult times, they don't have to scour the field. It's right there for them, right? Think about that. If your family is hungry, you know that there is food for you in the city center, and you know that the fields are going to leave, there's going to be margin for you in the fields. Bottom line, every individual in Israel gave a part of what they had so that the whole community could be provided for. That's reason number two. So, ensuring that the people of God could worship and grow, uh, caring for the vulnerable, and finally, the Israelites were commanded to be generous so that they could show the world what it means to live within the blessing of God. Here's what I mean. Essentially, they gave up some of what they had to celebrate in gratitude. Remember the whole idea, the whole idea behind the Israelites being generous is that God was going to bless them because of it. You're generous, God blesses you, he's going to sweep in and give them peace and give them health and give them abundant harvests so that they have more to give. It's that positive feedback loop of blessings, right? And just in case they might be tempted to forget where all this good stuff came from, where, where you know, who, who gave them the, the great rains that gave them the abundant harvest— the Israelites were commanded to party, to party. Listen to this. I'm serious. This, this was like an actual command for them. Again, in Deuteronomy 14, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place that the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain and new wine and olive oil and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. 
And when you hear the word fear, don't think like of being afraid. Don't think terror. Fear in, in scripture means respect. Respect the Lord your God by having a harvest festival, by remembering, again, he's the one who sent the rain, remembering that he's the one who owns it all, and we're just stewards. And how do you do that? How do you remember? You party. You celebrate as a community. Every year, the Israelites were commanded to take an additional 10%. Some scholars think it's the same 10%, but regardless, it's a lot. 10% of all of your harvest and have a giant feast together in the presence of God. Remember, Israel is showing the world that there is another way to live. And having this insanely awesome harvest party every year where the whole community is gathered, right? The the rich and the poor, the landowners and the Levites and everybody, where the food is amazing and the wine is flowing and everyone's having a great time. There's music. This shows the world what it means to live within the abundance of God. We're not backbiting. We're not competing with one another. No, we are together in God's blessing. So that's, that's the third reason the Israelites were commanded to be generous. Every individual in Israel gave a part of what they had so that the whole community could celebrate in gratitude for what God has done. So there you go. There's a lot of other specific laws and specific moments in the law we could get into, but I just want to leave it there. That is, that is a snapshot of generosity in the law. And again, the law of Moses called the people of Israel to be a living embodiment of God's presence and justice and abundance in the world. And being generous with their stuff was a big part of how. I'm telling you, this stuff's so cool. <laughs> I think it's really cool. But okay, let's bring it to today. Let's talk about our lives because, look, the reality is most of us have not had to think a lot about what we're doing with our grain harvests this year, okay? Most of us. Some of us are the exception to that. I haven't had to worry about grapes falling off the whatever. Okay. I want to be clear. Uh, we are not we are not bound by the specific commands of the law of Moses. Jesus freed us from that. We are not supposed to to follow these laws to the letter, nor do we live in an ancient agrarian society. So most of these things don't strictly apply to us. However, the spirit behind these laws, the the ideas, the spirit that, 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 that led these laws to being created, that spirit breathes right through the teachings of Jesus and right into our lives. Again, all of his teachings and, and all of Jesus' uh, you know, teachings on money and generosity were rooted in this tradition. And so here's the deal. I've been, I've been chewing on this, pondering maybe for like six months on, on exactly what is it that, that God is calling us to as a community based on this, based on the Torah itself, the, the law of Moses. And I've, I've got a couple of ideas that I want to share with you that I think could get us thinking. And we're going to get more into this next week and the week after, but I want us to start, you know, thinking together as a community. What does it mean for us to apply these concepts, these, the spirit behind these laws into our life? And so I... I I'm sorry it always comes in threes, but I do have three ideas for us to chew on. Takeaways, uh, challenges maybe, uh, three things that I think what we just talked about perhaps is challenging us in our lives today. So let's start with this one, all right? Here's, here's the first thing that I think we're all being asked to do. Check your palms. Check your palms. And what I mean by that is uh, there's a great opportunity here for us to do a bit of self-reflection, 
Right? As, we, as we think about the idea that Israel was called to be a nation set apart, right? to, be, to, to show the world another way to live, and then we think about the fact that we as followers of Jesus are also called to be set apart, to show the world another way to live. He called us a city on a hill. We are the light of the world. So if that's our responsibility, even as it was Israel's, maybe this is a good, question, a good time for us to ask the question, are we set apart? Are you set apart? Are you different? I mean, look, just look around at the culture that we live in, right? Everybody, everybody is just beset by greed and stinginess and self-absorption and, and, and uh, you know, self-focused and self-preservation when it comes to money. That's just par for the course. We live in suburban America. That's just the way that people are. Are you? Are you set apart from that, from that culture? Check your palms. When you think about your money, your stuff, your, your, your resources, are your palms open? Do you live freely? Do you give generously? Or are your fists clenched? Are you holding tightly? Or to put it another way, do you live with a, what I'll call a spirit of poverty? A spirit of poverty, which essentially is thinking that, that there's not enough to go around. It's a zero-sum game, and so I've got to cling to my stuff because there's not enough for everybody. Is that the the spirit that that guides you, like it does with so many people? Or do you live with a spirit of abundance? A spirit of abundance, trusting that God is going to bless you and give you more than you need. It took trust for the Israelites to give so much away, right? They had to have open palms. Do you? This is an awesome opportunity to check your heart, to check your palms, Are they open? Are they closed? What is your posture toward the things that God has given you, the money that God has given you? And it's a great time to ask, is God calling you to change that posture? So that's the first one. Check your palms. Number two, fight for margin. Fight for margin. I told you I was so compelled. I love the idea of the, the Israelites leaving the edges of their field unharvested. And I think there's something really important there for us to pay attention to in our lives. Fight for margin. Now, do you have margin in your fields, so to speak? Is there, is there leftover that can be shared with others? Or, or do you do what most people do, which is you use every single last shred of grain in your field and then you go borrow grain from other people's fields? Is that how you live? Is there margin? Do you have the edges of your field unharvested? And if not, fight for margin. Now, when I say fight for margin, I think there are two very different ways that that could apply to you. For some of you, for some of you, you don't have margin because you're living beyond your means. You're, 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 uh, you, it would require you to scale back on your lifestyle to have margin in your life. Not spending every last penny from your paycheck on yourself. Not, not uh, building up consumer debt to, to you know, further your, your lifestyle by stuff. It requires scaling back so that you can respond with open palms when you encounter a need in this world. One of the things that Olivia and I do, uh, you know, beyond our just normal tithes and offerings is, is we started doing this. We have a, a little bit of money that kind of drips in every month to what, what I call like a kingdom giving fund. And basically what this is, is it's just a little, a little line item in my budget, in our budget, that uh, when we encounter a need and we feel like God's calling us to give, there's always something there. 
right? There's always a little bit of something. It may not be much, right? We're just leaving the edges of the field unharvested, uh, but, but there's always something there for us to give. But to do that, it requires having that money go into that account in the first place. So you got to do a little bit of intentionality if you're going to try to scale back and have a bit of margin. Are you doing that? That's what it means if you're living beyond your means to fight for margin. It takes intentionality. Now, I said this takes two forms, though, because there are also some of you, you're not living beyond your means. It's not like that. You don't have margin because you can't have margin. Maybe you're in a place where you are just stuck in cycles of poverty, uh, cycles of, of unemployment, of debt. You, you can't get out. You can't seem to, 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 to get free of those things that are holding you down. If that's you— I, I think it's still true. You need to fight for margin, but that fight might look a bit different. For you, fighting for margin, it might mean getting help. Stop trying to do it on your own. Actually go and get help. I want to remind you, our care center, it's here for you. We have a beautiful, amazing choice food pantry where you can offset your weekly grocery bill to a significant degree. And it's choice. You get to get whatever you like, right? You get to go in and pick the things that you want. We have a car care ministry that helps you keep your vehicle running. We have a co-op program where you can find practical help meeting your needs, meeting your goals. Don't let pride stand in the way of getting help. God has blessed this community with abundance. Let us share that abundance with you so that you can start sharing your abundance, your margin with others. Fight for margin and get help if that's what that fight means. Finally, give to your church. And for many of you, most of you, that means giving to Grace Church. And I know what you're thinking. Thinking, I knew it. I knew it would come around to get money for the church. Barry wants a Bugatti or whatever. Uh, Bugatti, what is it? I, first of all, I don't know what a Bugatti is. I googled most expensive cars. I drive a 2014 Prius and it's fine. And I'm not, like, I don't even, and, and also I don't think I need to say this, but I'm just going to point this out. You know that if, if giving increases at Grace, my salary doesn't change, right? It has nothing to do with that. It's not like I'm earning money, but it's, okay, I'm saying give to your church for a specific reason. Because we just spent, I don't know how long, talking about all these ideas behind why the Israelites were commanded to give. Well, guess what? All of those concepts, they apply directly to what we are doing as a community today. Let me tell you, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, first of all, when you give to grace, you are, like the Israelites, you are ensuring that the people of God can worship and grow. You're making it possible for, for me and the other pastors to dedicate our lives to bringing Scripture to bear, to bringing the message of Jesus to bear in your life and your family's life. You make that possible when you give. You're supporting our worship and production teams so that every single week they can lead us into the presence of God with, with incredible, beautiful worship and music and, and services. You are, you, when you give, you're teaching children and students and adults to follow Jesus. You're providing community for the lonely. As an individual, you are helping your community become who we are called to be in Jesus. That's what happens when you give to grace, to your church. But not just that. When you give to grace, you're caring for the vulnerable. 
I already mentioned the care center. We serve hundreds of families in our community every week, both within and without of grace, like people who are, are our neighbors and also people who attend. We serve hundreds of families. And let me tell you, when the care center is going on and when it's open and you see the love and the dignity and the joy and the open-palmed posture of so many people there, it is obvious to anyone who sees it that there is another way to live. There is another way. I'll tell you, I've given so many tours of the care center and to see people's eyes go wide when they see what's possible, it's profound. And your giving helps make that possible. And that's not even talking about all the work that we do, that this community does to care for people with disabilities, for widows and widowers, for people facing health crises, for young moms. When you give as an individual to grace, you're helping this community shine brightly with the love of Jesus in our world. And finally, when you give to grace, you are helping this community celebrate in gratitude. I know some Christians have a reputation for being really somber and serious all the time, but obviously not us, right? We, take ourselves, we don't take ourselves seriously. We laugh a lot. We, we love the arts and we, we put on huge musicals and we do these amazing community events. We had llamas, guys. We had llamas because we celebrate. Yeah, we get some applause for the llamas. No, just kidding. At our, uh, at our fall fest. It... it we do all of that. We have that joyful, the, all of those joyful things that we do. We do it because we are so grateful for what God has given us that it just leaks out of us. It spills over because we are so full of gratitude. When you give as an individual, you are helping this community show our hurting, angry, hateful, uh, despairing, depressed world around us. We are showing them that there is another way to live. Another way is possible. And it's all thanks to the generosity of our God who has given us so much, who has blessed us, who has given us abundance. This is a posture that God has called his people to take from the very beginning. And he still calls us to take that posture today. So give to your church. Help this community worship and grow. Help us care for the vulnerable and help us celebrate what God has done because we're so grateful. Participate fully in the life of this community by getting your money in the game, whatever that looks like. So there we are. Check your palms, fight for margin, and give to your church. That's what I think God is calling us to consider today. Show your world that there is another way to live. Storing your treasures in heaven, not on earth. Investing in the things that God cares about. When you do, when you do, I fully believe that the presence and the justice and the abundance of our God will start to define your life and change the world around you. And that is something to be very, very thankful for. Let's pray. Well, God, I continue to just be overwhelmed at the vision of a community so trusting in you, so, uh, so open-palmed in what you have given us that we would begin to change our world. It's counterintuitive, it's countercultural for us, especially now, especially living in, in such a, a time of abundance like we are, is very hard for us to imagine letting go. And yet, Father, it's what I believe you're calling us to do. And so whatever form that takes, I pray, Father, that for everybody who's hearing my voice, that your spirit 
would, would convict us where our, where our palms are clenched, that you would uh, open our eyes to what's possible, and that you would give us the confidence and the trust and the faith that you will give us what we need. Father, would you change us and transform us to be living embodiments of your Spirit on the earth? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.